Jesus. What a trial that was. What a miscarriage of justice. What an act of love. Come now and be in our midst. Our minds, our hearts, our wills are offered up to you. We pray that you would move, that you would heal, that you would uh, be present to us as you were present to everyone around you as you gave your life for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This week I've been reflecting on bullies, toxic people in our world and in our life. You know, you can find bullies everywhere. They're not just in the news. Um, I was talking to someone from our congregation this week about a person, uh, not in their department, but who works with an earshot of them, who, as everyone else is working, feels the absolute freedom to mock all religion, mock the idea of God, uh, especially Christianity, loudly and regularly, sarcastically. And and this person, you know, is setting the tone uh, at the office, which is essentially, you know, if you come out as a person of faith, you're done for. You'll get shouted down and argued down, and, and, and so you better stay silent. And that's what a bully does. I've got another friend who, he's a pastor, and he's pastors in a different city. And he decided to use his platform to speak out about a current issue. And it resonated with a lot of people. His, his post went viral. But it also woke up the internet mob, or one of the internet mobs. And now every day he is viciously attacked on the internet. He's even gotten death threats. Uh, bullies, you know, they show up on your commute, don't they? That seems to be where bullies sort of come alive. <laughs> They're at work when we're commuting to work. Um, they use their horn, they use their middle finger to curse, to call down curses on you, people who get in their way. You know, in our, in our culture, which is more comfortable with vulnerability than with power, sometimes bullies can feign vulnerability to gain power. And they're very manipulative. Um, they play the victim. Uh, there are certainly high-profile, high-power bullies in our world. In, our, in their quest to gain power, they become abusive. In their quest to keep the power they have, they become abusive. And we can see entire nations, international conflicts, civil wars just get inflamed because instead of helping people uh, calm down, they actually stoke fear They fan it into flame. Instead of bearing pain, which is what a true leader does, they inflict pain. Instead of bringing joy into the room, into the nation, they bring fear. Do you work with the bully? Do you live with the bully? Do you have any bullies on your team? They're toxic. And they have a way of making everything about them. Think about it this way. Bullies kick sand in your face and then shame you for being blind. They just love to do that. Kick sand in your face and then uh, then it's your problem. I'm the one who can see. You're the one with sand in your eyes. What's your problem? When this happens, it's, it's disorienting. 
isn't it? When you've got sand in your face, it knocks you off balance. I mean, do, do I stand up to the bully right now or do I, do I ignore them? Uh, maybe they're right. I mean, maybe I am blind. Our relationship to reality is shaken when we've got the sand in our eyes. It's discouraging. Bullies leave us feeling sad, feeling angry, feeling powerless, feeling frustrated. It's painful to have sand kicked in your face. It literally gets under your skin. You know what? It's distracting. You and I, we have a true calling. We have a true identity. And when bullies kick sand in our faces, it distracts us, it distracts our teams, it distracts our families uh, from the way of love. This worship service and this sermon is for anybody who has sand in their eyes. Because there's a humble king who rode into Jerusalem to restore our world, to restore our vision so we can see him. He's the one who bore pain. He's the true leader who bore pain instead of inflicting it. And if you have sand in your eyes, you need to see him. Um, you need to see this king if you've got sand in your eyes. And he'll help you see him. He'll restore your sight. He'll restore your heart. And he will restore your calling, which we all need regularly. Sometimes when we've inhaled the toxic spirit of the bully, it's actually kind of tempting to then become a little bit of a bully yourself just to fix the original bully. But don't we see how that never seems to quite work? Never seems to take care of the bully problem in our world? And some of us have been filled with the spirit of the bully because that's, that's how we're dealing with it. And when that's the case, we need a king to give us his Holy Spirit, to fill us with his Holy Spirit, who is at this very time making all things new. Let's consider the situation of the church in Philadelphia. Not 21st century Philadelphia, but 1st century Asia Minor Philadelphia. And I invite you to turn to Revelation 3, and uh, in your bulletins or Bibles, To hear what Jesus has to say to this bullied church. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Now why would Jesus say that? Why all this talk of keys and having the power to open and shut a very peculiar door? You know, this church in Philadelphia had a door slammed in their face. They were part of a Jewish synagogue in Philadelphia. It was likely that they had family in the synagogue, friends in the synagogue, a supportive network in the synagogue. It was likely a center of organizing activity for them and support for them. And based on what we read in this text, it appears that as soon as these group of synagogue members began to confess Jesus as the Messiah, 
the bullies who ran the synagogue said, you want to confess Jesus as the Messiah? You're out. Slammed the door in their face, put them out on the street, depriving them of resources, excommunicating them from whatever that synagogue offered. And also taking away any kind of religious exemptions in the Roman Empire that would keep their sons away at war and would excuse them from the pagan sexualized idol feasts in the local temple. It was a perilous, bullying, toxic act of rejection. It was the most profound bit of sand blinding every single one of them. And so the door had been slammed in their face. Now they were exposed to more bullies. The the Roman Caesar looked at them and said, you better pay homage to me or else you're out of the trade guilds. The trade guild leader said, you better show up to the drunken sex parties or you no longer get any business. They were on the road not only to alienation, but to being impoverished and perhaps jailed. It must have been absolutely crushing. And on the way out, as the door of the synagogue was slamming, you know what was probably one of the last things they said based on this letter? God doesn't love you anymore. Slam. Get out. And shame on you for being so blind. Shame on you for confessing Jesus as the Messiah, you fool. We're the one with all the resources. You're the one who's poor. How much does God love you anyway? What a crushing series of events this must have meant. So what did the Philadelphian church need more than anything else? They needed the words of the Holy One. They needed the life-giving, restoring words of the true one who has the keys to the city where bullies will be no more. The cities where bullies are not allowed unless they are transformed by Jesus Christ. They needed those words to wipe the sand and the tears from their eyes so that they could see this humble king and so that they could see the city to come. So let's also hear those words. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. Let's let Jesus wipe the sand from our eyes as well. Number one, here's the first contrast that we see between bullies and the true king. The first contrast is this. When bullies accuse us, Jesus advocates for us. When bullies accuse us, Jesus stands up and advocates for us. Let's read verse 8. I know your works. This is Jesus talking. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You know, imagine you're a member of the Philadelphian church and you're hearing this for the first time. After all the marginalization and abuse, what a relief it must have been to hear Jesus Christ write these words personally to your congregation and to you. After years of conflict, after years of marginalization, holding on to Jesus, even when all the powers are set against you, to hear Jesus say, I know your works. I know that you have little power. 
And yet you've been faithful to me. You have kept my word. Church, I have watched the whole episode go down, gone down. Not one moment have I not seen. There's been pressure on you to deny my name and you were faithful. You've been lied about, church. You have been maligned by people. Your own kin has spread rumors that you're a fraud, that you're not a true Jew because you look to me as the Messiah. And you've also been lied to. They told you I didn't love you. It's almost as if Jesus, who is the ultimate judge, who sees all and makes the right judgments, comes down from the seat of judge and stands in the witness stand and gives the ultimate character testimony that no one is able to thwart. How relieving it would have been, how loving it was, that Jesus Christ, in the very way that the powers of the age lied about the Philadelphian church, Jesus Christ stood with both feet and said, it isn't true, they've been faithful, they love me, they've had little power, pressure's been under them, and they have held on to my name. When bullies lie about us, Jesus advocates for us. Verse 9 says this, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they're Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. You know, as he does in all seven letters to all the seven churches in Revelation, Jesus reminds his church that things are not always what they seem. Things are not always what they seem. Jesus says, you know, the synagogue that rejected you is the synagogue that rejected me. They have dishonored you, lied about you, gossiped about you. But one day they will recognize, one day they will recognize that I love you. The shame that they've heaped on your head will turn into love. And he advocates for them. He stands up for them. I wonder how many of us here have done this at some point in our week, in our life. We've, we've stood up to do something that was hard and right, and then we've been maligned for it. We've been lied about. Some of you who have been maligned, some of you who have been gossiped about, need to know that Jesus knows your works. He sees your faithfulness. He sees your courage. And in his good timing, you will be vindicated. I've been reading this week a little bit about William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was uh, a member of British Parliament uh, back when the slave trade was still legal. And um, he was a talented uh, man with a bright future in politics. And then Jesus disrupted his life with some spiritual longings. And he began to investigate the claims of Christ. And he ended up beginning to follow Jesus. And as he began to follow Jesus, Jesus pointed out, hey, look, there's, there's, there's all these men and women who are, who are held captive and bound and taken from their homeland and, and, and raped and sold into slavery and, and made, to, made to work for nothing and held against their will to earn profit for people. And so he began to seek out legislation to, to make it illegal. And as he began to press into doing what was right, uh, he was utterly rejected by not only uh, members, fellow members of parliament, but people of society. The fa- it was fashionable to support the slave trade at the time. 
You were seen as being on the right side of history supporting the slave trade. It was making produce cheaper. It was making the nation wealthy. And here you have this five-foot man standing in parliament going, this is illegal. And so you know what they did? They lied about William Wilberforce. Oh, they lied about him. They lied about him from the first day to the last day. Uh, there was a, a, an interesting um, rumor that was spread about him. One of the contemporaries said this, I have no doubt that William is a great philanthropist in public, but I happen to know a little of his private history and can assure you that he is a cruel husband who beats his wife. And William Wilberforce was single at the time. So that was a lie. You know, at one point, ten years into the, the fight, do you know what he wrote in his journal? I am permanently hurt by the slave trade. It was crushing. No legislative victories, but lots of lies. I'm so glad that he didn't quit. Aren't you? I'm so glad that he stood up to the bullies and the power of Jesus. Aren't you? I'm so glad that he didn't let the lies dominate his heart and life. He had to look to the ultimate advocate to be his advocate, to be his source of truth, and to be a shield for him. What good things are you tempted to quit because you've been maligned and gossiped about? Someone has made you to be the aggressor and made themselves to be the victim because you've done the right thing. Someone has kicked sand in your eyes and accused you of doing the right thing or do, do you the wrong thing, but even though you've been doing the right thing. What good things are you tempted to do because there's a bully kicking sand in your face? Jesus Christ, this morning, and as we go out and we process with the cross before us, he advocates for you with truth, and he never is going to stop. But that's not the only thing that he does. When bullies accuse us, Jesus advocates for us. Secondly, when bullies demoralize us, Jesus rallies us on. He encourages us to stay in the race. We're in a long race, friends. We're in a hard race. William Wilberforce didn't see the abolition of slavery until right before his death. Jesus is our forerunner, and along with the saints who have gone before us, he's cheering us on to endure to the finish line. Jesus says this in verse 10. Read with me. Because you have kept my word about patience and endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, don't quit. Don't quit. You're in the middle of, a, of, a, of an ultimate race. I can see that you've grown discouraged. I can see that you're tired. And I know that you feel hopeless right now. You, you might even hear accusations in your head. You know what? You're a bad Christian. You know what? You failed Jesus. You, you should just give up. You should just admit that this is all your fault. You should just admit that it's not even worth it. Jesus is saying to the Philadelphian church and to us, don't be cowed by the enemies of the new city. Don't let hecklers get you out of the race. You're winning. You have a crown. It's a beautiful crown. Don't let anyone 
bully you out of it. Don't let anyone steal your crown. What does Jesus mean when he says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth? You know, Jesus is pictured in the book of Revelation as a great judge, a really good judge, not a cruel judge, not a vindictive judge, a just and loving judge who perfectly combines mercy and justice. And you know what he does in the book of Revelation? He lets the people get what they're pining for. He, he lets everyone get what they want. And for the people, um, for those who want Jesus, for those who want and pine for his new city, their suffering on this earth is just a threshold to that. Their, their suffering is just a prelude to more of Jesus. They're protected ultimately from evil. Even as they're martyred, even as bad things happen to them, they are ultimately protected. They're ultimately filled with hope. They ultimately have this place around Jesus' throne and their joy is overflowing. But those, for those who want nothing to do with Jesus, who, don't, who want their own kingdom, they don't want Jesus' kingdom, or they want in with Jesus' kingdom with stipulations, those who have made a dirty deal with Rome um, and the powers of evil, are going to find out that the devil doesn't keep his deals. They're going to find out that Caesar doesn't keep his deals. It was a bad deal from the very beginning. And they are pictured as harassed and isolated and even crying out for the mountains to fall upon them so that they can just die. In short, for those who endure in Jesus, suffering is just a prelude to heaven. Suffering has this amazing crown that's the encouragement of the gatekeeper but for those who want Rome and want evil and want injustice their suffering is a prelude to hopelessness and ultimately hell when bullies accuse us Jesus advocates for us and when bullies demoralize us Jesus rallies us on and we need to be rallied on to keep going. If any of you have ever run a marathon or a half marathon or even a 5K, you know that right in the middle of the race is the time when you most want to quit. I remember once I was racing a half marathon. My sister also happened to be racing. We are longtime rivals. <laughs> and I thought, man, she's way ahead of me. And so I really was tempted to quit after the initial burst of energy died off and then I just decided to run as fast as I could like chariots of fire <laughs> and wouldn't you know I beat my sister by two minutes <laughs> but you know we need to be rallied on in the middle of the race don't we it can seem like nothing we do has any real impact on the world it seems like nothing we do will actually is actually bringing any kind of kingdom I was just talking this week with, a, with um, uh, our first parish administrator, and I had just gotten telling her about all the growth and all the good things that we have been seeing, all the great new ministries that are happening at Emmanuel. And she went back and she said, wow, that is so good to hear, because when I was right in the thick of all that administrative activity, it felt like it wasn't having any difference at all. So many seeds she sowed with, with loving hands 
into our church. And Jesus has taken all of those and borne fruit through them. He can do the same through your life. And most of you won't work for the church. You actually, you're actually sent by Jesus outside of the church into your families and workplaces. And you're in the middle of a race and you actually need to hear the encouraging words of the king who rode into Jerusalem, who gave his life for you and for this city. You need to hear that, don't quit. <coughs> don't give up. Run with me. Run the race. Don't let anyone bully you out of your crown. That crown is yours and the city is yours. And I am yours. Final thing. When bullies shame us by bringing up our past, Jesus honors us with a preview of our future. When, when bullies uh, shame us by reminding us of our failures and our past, Jesus honors us by stepping aside of the gateway of the new city and showing us our future. It's almost as if Jesus wants us to get a very concrete and tangible picture of the role he's going to have us play. He's like, hey, see, there you are. Let's read verse 12. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, now think about this. You've just been kicked out of the synagogue. You've been treated as, as a temporary piece of of garbage to be kicked out. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You have a permanent pillar-like future in my temple. He goes on to say this, never shall he go out of it and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Jesus lets us picture ourselves as pillars, unshakable. Later on, he'll describe us as dressed in white, uh, serving at the pleasure of the Father. We have good work to do in this new city. And it's a psychologically, spiritually safe place to work, live, be vulnerable. We're pillars, we're not pawns. Bullies use us like pawns. Jesus' intention is for us to be pillars now and in the future. Not only that, Jesus has personally given us three amazing tats. Verse 12, he says, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven, down from my God, out of heaven, and my own new name. The name of Jerusalem, the name of the new city will actually be, as he pictures it metaphorically, written upon you. It is permanent. No one can question your status in the new city, the lasting city. You'll never be kicked out. You'll never be shamed again. You'll never be harassed. You'll never be sent packing. You'll never be questioned. Um, later in Revelation, it says this. It says, Therefore they, the, the saints who have the crown, are before the temple of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. 
and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, Jesus, the true king, you know, he's our advocate. And not only that, he's our cheerleader, coach. And not only that, he's the gatekeeper. And he's standing at the gate of the new city. And he's standing up for us. Some of you will remember the first martyr ever in church history. His name was Stephen. And at the end of his life, he bore witness to the principalities and powers. He bore witness to the political rulers of the age who, who demanded an answer of him, of his subversive political behavior of calling Jesus the Messiah. And Stephen answered, yeah, you know, everything in the Jewish scriptures points to Jesus Christ. All of history points to Jesus Christ. He's the Lord and you've rejected him. And so they stoned him. They threw stones like cowards. They threw stones at his head. And when he was in between the threshold of life and death, he looked up to heaven. And what did he see? He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, normally scripture describes Jesus after he died, rose again, and ascended to heaven. What did he do? He sat at the right hand of the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father. But when Stephen saw him, he was standing up for Stephen in heaven as Stephen's advocate, as the one who would welcome Stephen into heaven, welcome Stephen into the presence of the Father. Jesus saw Stephen standing up for him by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he stood up for Stephen. Stephen was weak in the old city. He was powerless. He was an enemy of the state. He was discardable there were lies told about him people felt justified throwing rocks at his head but in the new city the king of that city when Stephen began to walk into that new city the king of that city stood up and all of heaven stood up with him welcome home good and faithful servant welcome home let me clear that sand from your eyes let me wipe away those tears. I've got a special place for you in my Father's temple. I've got a special place for you. You can serve night and day. You've got living water. You've got living bread. You're probably not going to get tired. I'm going to be your light. You're never going to fall asleep. It'll be somewhat like Alaska, only better. <laughs> I'm standing up for you, Stephen. Come serve with me. You didn't give up. You've got a crown. No one can take it away from you. This is so different from the saturation of lies that we have in the old city. The attacks and the obnoxiousness of toxic people who love to see other people suffer when they kick sand in their face. So, how do we deal at the end of the day with the bullies? How do we deal with people who attack us how do we deal with people who say mean things? How do we deal with people who bring psychological disruption into our world? At our workplace, on our commute. Well, before you endure more abuse or decide to confront it or decide to wait it out, the first call of Jesus on every single one of us who want to follow him is to renew our minds and renew our souls 
in Jesus. That's his call. Bullies want to shape your mind. They want, their, they want your mind and your reality to, to adjust to, their, to them. And that's actually the first battlefield. That's the most important battlefield. That's Jesus' territory. Who are you? Where are you headed? What race are you running? The call on all of us is to renew our minds in Jesus. I'm going to give you an exercise I learned from my spiritual director. He writes about um, before you encounter the toxic person in your life, before you encounter the mean commuter, um, picture the person that you're vulnerable to be hurt by and talk to Jesus about what happens when you encounter that person, how it impacts you, how it makes you feel. Begin to give that over to him. I, I feel attacked. I feel sad. I feel discouraged. I feel angry. I feel full of rage even. And then begin to incorporate Psalm 3.3 into your prayer. You can pray this. Jesus, you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. You are a shield about me, O Christ. You bestow glory on me and you lift up my head. And you can actually imagine yourself being surrounded by a body-length shield. And that shield is Jesus Christ himself. And when someone hurls attacks at you or people that you love, the arrows don't hit you. They don't come into the center of who you are. They hit the shield. We can actually begin to pray and imagine this happening. Praying in the strong name of Jesus for his protection. Praying in the strong name of Jesus that we would be able to see ourselves aright as protected by the living Christ. This is the practice of the citizens of the new city. Because when you pray in this way, your mind is being conformed to the reality of the new city where there will be no tears, where there will be no attack, where there will be no bullies. And Jesus Christ, through his death, through his resurrection, and through his ascension to the Father's right hand makes it possible for us to live in that reality now. Yes, you might be hurt, but it won't be the ultimate test. It won't be the ultimate judgment. It will be but a foretaste of the goodness of Jesus. The king will have his way in your life. The king will bring true justice to every bully in the world. Some of them will be saved and some of them will choose not to. Your head in Christ can be lifted high. You can worship and your whole reality can be shaped not by the bullies, not by the toxicity, but by the true king by the advocate, by the counselor, by the encourager, by the gatekeeper who stands up for you before the Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray for us, and then we'll move on with the rest of our service. We pray, living Christ, that for all of those who've got sand in their eyes right now, that you would begin the process of removing 